Escape from Plan A. Welcome back, listeners. Here's another episode of Escape for Plan A. I'm your host, Oxford Condo, and this is a really exciting episode just because we have a very interesting crew here. Uh, we have a couple of returning guests, uh, Jay. Hey, how's it going? Quien. Hello. And uh, someone totally new, Serena. Hey, Serena. Hi, peoples. And this episode, this is we're going to talk about the like similarities and differences between uh, South Asians or, you know, what some call like brown Asians and then East and like Southeast Asians, what some might call yellow Asians. But before we get to that, I want to say uh, what you just heard in our intro, that's actually finally we have our own custom intro song. After like 80 episodes, we finally got one. So we want to give credit to uh, AK, who uh, wrote that song along with uh, the o- OX, the the moron, <laughs> his producer. Song is uh, Fuck Out My Face uh, from the album Mo Sex. You can find that on Spotify. So check out those guys. They're, they're really good. Um, and we are now on Patreon. Uh, we've been up on there for a few weeks now. And we've been very, you know, kind of overwhelmed with the level of support we've gotten. So uh, we're very thankful. Uh, please go to patreon.com slash plan We're there. And if you sign up, you get bonus podcast episodes, you get access to our Discord, and you also get to pull, uh, contribute to like a fund we're trying to build up to pay, uh, you know, Asian American writers. So if you're sick of just, you know, reading the same boring ass shit you see, you know, in the mainstream publications, consider joining us on Patreon. You know, we're not using that money to go to Atlantic City or anything. So please, like, you know, no fears about that. I live in Canada. That's way far. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, and obviously we're on Plan A Mag and, you know, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. We, uh, you know, that thing. So please subscribe, review, etc. All right, let's jump. Oh, but before we jump into the topic, um, I think uh, it's been a while since uh, some of our returning guests have been on. And then obviously, Serena, you're new. So I want everyone to just kind of introduce yourselves again uh, in case our listeners uh, don't quite know uh, who you are. So, Jay, why don't we start with you? Tell us a bit about yourself. Hey, it's uh, Jay right now. I just wanted to... I don't know what to say. I'm a brown guy that lives in Toronto. I'm a clinician <laughs> in uh, mental health. I'm obsessed with cars. So if anyone wants to add me on Twitter about their amazing car, especially if it's been modded, I'd love that. That's uh, that's what gets me going every day. Yeah, and Jay, we got to know you because you you were, I don't know if you still are, but you were in a bunch of those uh, Asian Facebook groups. Yeah, I'm I'm still in those silly Asian Facebook groups. I'm actually, I've been, I've been leaving some of them just so I can start working. And I guess just kind of random is I'm in some groups that focus on Asian men and white women. And there is so much drama. <laughs> They're so silly. There is so much nonsense. I think uh, after being in those groups, it's like, wow, I prefer white men over white women. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah those like those like very specific interracial groups like they're a little weird you know a little no a they're little they're extremely like just straight up problematic probably alt-right meets weird horny people at the same time it's a very peculiar yeah. place in the world all right uh thanks jay and serena uh, uh the newcomer please you know tell us tell us about yourself hi my name is serena i also live in Toronto in Canada like uh, Jay lives. Um, I am a first-year pharmacy student um, and things have been going pretty well. Though 
The reason I got into Asian American issues was actually because of my thesis in undergrad. My thesis in undergrad was called the Yellow Peril Project, and it was a documentary that focused on Asian men and media perceptions of them and how that translates out into how Asian men get treated in real life. And it was about a 22-minute long video that took me about a year to really put together, but really about three years worth of research was done and like literally 40,000 words. Oh, wow. Is, is there a link to that anywhere online? That uh, I'd love to put it in like the show notes so that people could access it. Yeah, yeah. If I uh, find a copy of it, it's on a hard drive because it's pretty big and I can't store it locally, but I can send it to you and you can, I can, you can post it at a later time. I oh, yeah, will do. Uh, and lastly, but obviously not least, uh, Quien, uh, you were on uh, some episodes before with us, I think for the first time on, on the Crazy Rich Asians one, and then uh, that we did another one about Asians in, in show business because uh, Quien's uh, an actor. Uh, but please uh, tell us uh, more about yourself. Um, I mean, you basically covered it. Uh, I've also mentioned on the other episodes that I've been on that um, aside from acting here in L.A., I... Uh, I'm also an organizer, so I work in Vietnam human rights, and I have a podcast called Law. We're in the uh, process of restructuring um, currently, um, but you, if you're interested in hearing stories from and about Vietnam, the um, website is www.law.fm. And Queen and I also go way back because uh, we were college friends and everything. So yep. <laughs> in the in that in that episode, we talked about that. <laughs> okay, uh, great to have all of you. This is this is a great group. So let's ta- start talking about this. So this is a topic I've been wanting to do for a really long time, just because. And and uh, Jay, you probably know this because you're in those Facebook groups a lot. It's it's this discussion I see all the time come up. It's just like what is Asian American and. Like who who's in it, and I think a popular topic is always you know how come like brown Asians aren't included. So I, I think I think we, that's a good place to start. Like w- what is Asian American? Um, and Jay, you want you want to start? Yeah, definitely. I I think one thing that is interesting is that Asian American and Asian Canadian. It's slightly different in that there is no Asian Canadian includes everybody from the Middle East to Japan, including micro. Oh, wait, wait, uh, I, I forgot to, uh, I think everyone should state their ethnicity because, uh, I mean, this is like, uh, <laughs> you know, we try to, try to get a, a very representative. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, so Oxford, I'm Korean. Yeah. Jay, you so, are? I, I'm Tamil Canadian or South Indian mm-hmm. or Sri Lankan Canadian. And Serena, you are? I am a Punjabi Indian. And I'm Korean. And I am Vietnamese American. Okay, great. All right, Jay, please continue. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so I'm a, like I mentioned, I was a brown guy from the beginning. And when we are in Canada, there's definitely a division on South Asian and East Asian and maybe even Southeast Asian compared to the U.S. That being said, there are so many commonalities politically that we see a lot of intersection. And when I came on these American Facebook groups, I was kind of surprised on my perspective. I was like, oh, they are actually really great at not gatekeeping different ethnicities i mean the only issue that i think everyone will notice is that it's overwhelmingly chinese whether they're older political activists or younger political activists and i think it still is overwhelmingly chinese but i was thought i was coming from the opposite from canada we're like oh wow there's so much more solidarity between people and uh i don't know if you guys ever 
if anyone ever said that because in Canada, UK, I don't feel like that's the case. I feel like everyone kind of goes in their own separate groups for political activism anyway. Um, to add on to what Jay is saying, I think it may be the uh, differential relative sizes of the population. Like, if I recall correctly, I think Canada is approximately 12% Asian. It's definitely one of the larger minority groups. And so you're going to have larger populations, and those larger populations are kind of going to separate out more into their own kind. But then when you go into the United States, it's only something like 6% Asian, like less than half the number in Canada proportionally to the population. And so they tend to kind of stick together because they don't have as many other kinds of Asian as they do in Canada. Kind of kind of random is that there's 300,000 Persians living in Toronto. And I think there's probably closer to like half a million of Tamil people living in Ontario, mostly in Toronto. The equivalent Japanese, including Hapa, so not just like you know, so a lot of Yonsei and a lot of older folks are included into this, pop is about 300,000. So you can see there's like quite a big difference if you have a small Indian minority group or Persians, a Middle Eastern group, they're all in one city compared to another ethnicity that's pretty much spread throughout the country. The, the spread across the country, I find, also kind of impacts treatment and differential treatment. Like my boyfriend lives in Calgary and he recently came to visit me in April, May. And he came here and he said, he's white, he came here and he said, there's so many Indians here, there's so many Indian Americans, and often when we were getting things done, when we got a cab, going in a cab, his um, Airbnb people were Indian, and I was speaking Hindi to them, he was like, you would never be able to see this many Indian people in Calgary, it's still very white there. And that being said, that kind of... Calgary has a lot of freaking brown people in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, one of my good friends from there is also brown. So, yeah, definitely. There's a good brown population there. But he says, according to my boyfriend, it's not like in Toronto. <laughs> and and sorry, I, I just wanted to get clarification earlier. Serena, you were saying that you think um, that because in certain places in this, in America... Um, there are the the Asian populations are um, are smaller and therefore uh, like Asians even across various ethnic lines um, because of that they tend to gather more as a as an overall Asian community was that what you were saying or am I misunderstanding? Uh, no, uh, what I meant was that as a proportion of the entire United States population. Asian Pacific Islander is a much smaller percentage than it is in Canada. Yeah, I can believe that. Yeah. Here's what I find frustrating about this discussion. I think we're all just like fighting over a word and we get so stuck up on the word Asian. I think what what we really need is, is a word like yellow because uh, like, like brown, there, there's a word that kind of exists for that. But like like East Asians and, you know, like Southeast Asians, uh, we, we are treated like a group, and I think when when you uh, group it under identity like yellow, um, I think people understand what it means. But they're so I think we're so reluctant for whatever reason to identify as it, and then so then we then we call ourselves Asian, which is you know it, it's a geographical term. It's not a racial term. It's it's as geographical as like being South American. But in South America, you can be like Amerindian. You can be you can just be like full Italian, uh, you know, ethnically, but you're still South American. So we're fighting over this geographical term, but what we really the Pope is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Pope, uh, Pope um, Francis, Pope Francis, yeah, he's he's Italian, right? 
uh, even though he's like Argentinian. Um, so then it, it becomes a pointless, misguided debate because we're we're really talking about ethnicity and race, but then we're trying to use a geographical term. And in, you know, Asia. I mean, the most ridiculous thing is when people say, "Well, like you know, uh, like Russian Slavs are also Asian." It's like, I mean, like yeah, technically, I suppose so. I, I you, always love def- those twenty-one-year-olds <laughs> that come into online discussions. Like, well, didn't you know that Asian people are very diverse? And we're all like, no fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, they they think they're so they're like um, so like brilliant. It's like they think it's a mic drop moment. It's like, oh, you know. Um. So, and I think one thing that does bug me is I think there is at least among like East Asians, I think there is this fear of of identifying too closely with this like yellowness. And I think uh, that's why they like this term Asian because it can be stretched so far from all the way, you know, you can basically go from like St. Petersburg all the way to like like the Marshall Islands technically or something, right? That's all Asia. And I think it just comes from this like deep-seated fear that if you're just yellow, then you, you have no like political protection, don't really have any social protection. Um, and I, and I, I think that's, that's what it's really about. Um, yeah, so what, what do you guys think? I think that it does kind of lend itself to a lot more pan-Asian sentiment than having, like, yellow-brown, like, and also the fact that the U.S. also includes Pacific Islanders as a kind of Asian as well. And so if your populations are small, you're going to want to have all the numbers you, you, you need, basically, in order to ensure representation in a democracy. Right. So I think there is a political uh, definition of Asian-American, which I think is obvious why uh, you'd want to want that to be as big as possible. Uh, but then I think there is the more maybe like the personal definition, which is about uh, like, for example, like in these like subtle Asian groups or whatever, like why are these people getting together? It's obviously not for some political purpose. I think it's, to sh- it's just to feel like a sense of community and shared experiences. And I don't like personally, I don't think in in that place it's that useful to group like yellow and brown Asians together because I think some of our biggest um, like issues uh, don't like for for instance, like. One of the like formative like brown Asian experiences in the last couple of decades has been you know something like the profiling that goes on after nine eleven that doesn't affect me, and I can I can you know I can definitely support uh you know against you know that racist profiling and stuff but you know I'm not going to get shot in a in like a, a Sikh temple at all really right and to pretend uh for like political reasons that I am part of that group is I I think kind of just like unrealistic and it's it's not that useful well i don't know what you guys think but do you feel like there is that happening that there are yellow asians who may kind of take that take that on because in my experience i feel like those lines are pretty i think those lines are pretty clear Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not exactly because there is, like, um, with the regards to the 9-11 thing, certain populations in both Southeast and South Asia are Muslim in general. And, like, those are the people that 9-11 Islamophobia targets. A lot of, um, like, Pakistanis who are visibly Muslim. Or it can also target, you know, even Indonesians who are Muslims. And they wear hijab, you mm-hmm. know, and they're visibly Muslim. But... Even people who are of an ethnicity that might look like they could potentially be Muslim can still be targeted. Like Sikhs were targeted because they were misidentified as Muslims, or even myself as a Hindu growing up in the 2000s, I often got called terrorist because I'm brown, even though I'm not Muslim. 
So just kind of random because I'm a clinician. Is this is a really stupid story? I just uh, was came out of an exam and someone's like, "Hey, for that one question about pork, it's Muslims that can't eat pork, right? You know the answer, right, Jay?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's the reason." <laughs> They're like, "Yeah, of course you would know." I was like, "Yeah, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know because I'm not a fucking idiot." So <laughs> there is a kind of brown thing where people are like, "Oh, you're brown. You understand this weird." Thing that you brown people do it reminds me of this tweet i saw where this Sikh guy i forgot whom was standing in uh, a grocery store and this white lady looked at him and looked back at her husband oh yeah we have to get the non bread oh like she saw him like oh it like triggered the grocery list in her mind yeah to get non bread <laughs> <laughs> see and so i mean that's 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 ridiculous <laughs> story but that that's that's kind of what i was saying in terms of the lines being relatively clear i mean obviously at the end of the day none of these lines are that clear but i am vietnamese american and i am you know southeast asian presenting um but you know like i i could pass for various east asians depending on who's looking at me and i'm saying that that circumstance at the grocery store obviously would not would not happen to me like i my presence does not trigger people to put non bread on you know non on their grocery list um and so what i was saying is that uh, going going back to uh, oxford what you were saying isn't isn't the, aren't those lines you know to a certain extent clear among um the various you know, yellow and brown Asian communities. I think they're definitely clear from our personal experiences. What I do see is sometimes a resistance, uh, especially like in, in these online spaces or in certain like activist spaces to try to diminish those differences and say, no, we're all Asian. And I don't know if it's because uh, if some of these people are like political organizers and it's in their interest to make Asian American as big as possible because the bigger your group, the more you know, political clout you're going to have. I don't know if that's like bleeding over into their uh, more like practical definition of Asian or whether these are people who, as I said before, have some like insecurity about, well, you know, us as like yellow people, we need to get as many like like diverse allies as possible because if we're, if we're just yellow, like we, we have no real protection in this country. Um, or I don't know if, if it's just people who, I don't know, uh, have too much of a geographical sense of this. I think the danger is you, if you water it down too much, then you, like nobody's specific uh, problems will get addressed. Um, because like, let, let's just envision an example where, um, you know, somebody, some like brown Asian is complaining about, uh, you know, th- getting stopped at the airport. What if I said something like, well, that's never happened to me. And I'm Asian too. Or conversely, let's say this like anti-China trade war rhetoric ramps up. You see like a bunch of like, like East Asian or like, you know, like kind of Chinese looking Southeast Asian people just getting beat up on the streets or something. And like a brown Asian says, well, you know, that doesn't happen to me in that sense. Um, I, I think that's that's what I am worried about. If, if you, you just adopt this almost like meaningless sense of it, then somebody's always just going to come and say, well, that's not happened to me. Well, because well, you're not part of the same experience. Yeah. Like um, when it comes to that experience that may or may not be different sometimes though there are important commonalities to treatment and this is often seen with uh asian men and media 
throughout the course of my thesis, what I found was that the treatment of Chinese, yellow Asians as you call them, and <coughs> brown Asians on television are sometimes not terribly different. Like the shy, desexualized, not very desirable Asian man is not just the Chinese, but also Indian. Like, you know, Long Duk Dong from Sixteen Candles was featured in my documentary as an example of an Asian stereotype like that. As well as, um, there was another feature of Raj from The Big Bang Theory, and I wrote a supplementary article as well on how Raj is, and his constant mutism, the shyness, the inability to find a happy relationship and his self-imposed kind of isolation is also a bit of a um a bit on the part of um the same treatment that Long Tuk Dong and other Asian men were getting the terrorist stereotype too I found that actually could be a commonality just in different time eras like if you look at the treatment of Japanese men during World War II and the treatment of um treatment of South Asian men in the wake of 9/11 and there was the, you remember that famous video, Turban Terrorist, Terrorist Turban, they go together, that girl from, like, Brampton who was, like, super racist? I compared that to, in my video, to the earlier treatment, and even more recently with the North Korea stuff, the portrayal of Kim Jong-un in uh, the interview. So, if you look closely enough, the stereotypes come from very similar places, and sometimes it can look similar. So it's not always that they will necessarily look different or they could have looked similar just in different time eras. Actually, that's a good point. Actually, I do agree. I think like yellow Asian men and brown Asian men get treated, uh, you know, you know, relatively similarly. But, you know, I think uh, yellow women and brown women get treated quite differently. I mean, I, I think, uh, does anyone agree or disagree with that? I mean, I think it depends on what particular subject you're looking at. But I like Serena's point about how the overall ideology of Orientalism really created a design on how Asian men of South and East and Southeast to be treated relatively similar, as uh, as Serena pointed out, in media. For Asian women, I think this is particularly true in the labor force. And I see the bamboo ceiling impacting women. And I see it in other places too, in particular how people are treated, especially if you are kind of fob, you have an accent. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But I find that Asian women are, even South Asian women are treated very similar. So like your Chinese aunties and your Indian aunties, I feel like they're kind of minimized. Sometimes they're invisible, whether it's at a store whether it's receiving health care, I see that as being quite similar. Maybe that's the larger immigrant experience as well, but I find that it's quite similar lived experiences. Yeah, like I'd like to share a story about my mom, actually. Though I gotta say this story took place in like 1994 or something like that, 1995, like a long time ago, but it still kind of is relevant here. So my mom is a science teacher and she has a lot of science degrees, some from back in India and some from here. My mom was born in India. She still has an Indian accent. And she'd only been in Canada for, I think, four years by the time, three or four years by the time she uh, this happened. So she was interviewing for the science teacher position at her very white high school. 
and she finally got it. And when she entered the room for the first time, everyone was clapping because they didn't think an immigrant could ever do it, much less a female immigrant from India. Hmm. Yeah. That just reminds me of a story for, for my mom. <laughs> so I'm, just, I'm not wanting up your story, Serena. It's just kind of a similar experience. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And, I, and I, we kind of laugh about it because it's, it's sort of funny. It's like, so we're Tamil, and so there was a lot of refugees from Sri Lanka during the late 80s and early 90s. And so when my parents were coming back, and we lived in the Midwest at the time, in uh, Saskatchewan, my mom was really tired. And so someone asked, so they asked a little bit of questions about her. They actually took our passports away because they wanted to make sure they didn't like rip off the passports or throw them in the toilet so you can claim refugee status, I guess. And so when they asked my mom some questions about like, what do you, do you speak English? And I think my mom was really tired and she's like, I speak a little bit. <laughs> and then later they're like, oh, wait a second. You work for the government. You're totally fine. Really sorry about that. And so that's how like these stereotypes come, how people treat you when you have a slight accent. Uh, I know my mom sometimes gets completely ignored and she's, she's, she's someone who doesn't really yell much. So she just kind of takes it. It's like, doesn't give a fuck. But it could be troublesome, especially for those that need help or you're supposed to be giving them a service. Or even whether it's in retail or, or whatever. those who get help that they don't actually need. A really funny story about both me and my sister when we were in elementary school about, I don't know, I'd say like 20 years ago for me and like 15 years ago for her, something like that. So my last name is Indian. And so even though I was born here, have an American accent, you know, like you don't hear any Indian accents on me. And English is my first spoken language. Hindi I understand about as well as English, so I technically have two first languages, but my most fluent language is English. And so when I entered school and my sister entered school, they automatically put us in ESL because of our last names. And we were like, why the hell are we in ESL? We speak English as our first language. And the teacher was like, oh, okay. And that's so common for all Asians in Canada. All Southeast, Southeast Asians, probably Middle Eastern, they all have this stupid story about clearly <laughs> fluent in English and being put into ESL. ESL, uh, yeah. A question for, yeah. A question for you guys, because I wanted to go back to the, because like me and Serena, we kind of mentioned about our moms, and I'm kind of curious if those are, if there are similar stories for East Asians and Southeast Asian women on how they are almost considered almost invisible, kind of infantilized whenever they're speaking to okay, people but, in the public. But I think that's, I, I think that's like straining to find, I mean, I think like almost in any immigrant group, I bet, like even like white immigrant groups, uh, probably like if you ask like Russian Jews, they probably have some similar, like they'll probably have some story of feeling like belittled, especially if they're like some like poor, like Baltic state or something. Mm -hmm. But or I, I want to Slavic accent. Yeah, and they'll Slavic think that, you, you know, you're, you're a bunch of like communists and you like, all you did was like, eat potatoes and like worship uh, Lenin or something. Uh, but th I want to go back to a point I made about how I think that brown women and, and yellow women are treated differently. Because I think for like, uh, you know, East and Southeast Asian women, you know, fetishization is such a big part of just like their experience. And and then the simple fact is like, like brown women don't get as fetishized, right? Um, when there's like, there's constantly, uh, you know, it's, uh, Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month. I've already seen like multiple like yellow fever articles. I've never seen any like brown fever articles. And and actually I think this 
affects the how um like yellow men and brown men are are treated too. I, uh, Jay, I, I think you can uh, uh, you probably know a bit about this, but you know those like bogus uh penis size sur- surveys that are always oh my god, fl- floating this is around? a big part of my thesis. Yeah, this and you know, like, a big part according, of my thesis. according to the thesis, uh, Jay, you and I, we both have like the smallest dicks in the world, or at least our race of men. <laughs> that's that's right. But I can't the thing even is, imagine. But the thing all is, those I've... articles that I was just going no, no, no again, <laughs> and debunking one by one in my write-up. The reason I bring that hours. up uh, is that I rarely ever hear like you know those typical like. I think they're usually white dudes on the internet. You know, they're they're always obsessed with like non-white guys' dicks. I rarely ever see them focus on like brown men's dicks as much as they focus on yellow guys' dicks. And I think the reason is that uh, these kind types of guys are the guys who would fetishize yellow women, but they don't fetishize brown women. So they don't have as big an incentive to play up this idea of, of you know the tiny brown dick, but they have every incentive to play up the idea of the tiny yellow dick. And I think that is a pretty big difference, I think, between like the brown and yellow experience in America. And, and another reason I think that I do want to recognize uh, the differences, because I think similarities, yeah, there are lots of similarities. And I think, I mean, in college, uh, I had a lot of Indian friends and I just gravitated towards them because, yeah, there was something similar. But there's also these uh, unique um, issues in our communities, sometimes very difficult and and to tell the truth, uh, a lot of times uh, when people don't want to talk about them, uh, at least from like yellow communities, what I've experienced is they'll say, well, why, why are you talking about this? Don't you know that we Asians are getting like um, profiled as terrorists? And these are like yellow people saying that. And I'm thinking like, you're not getting profiled for shit at the airport. Stop trying to use other people to talk about stuff that you're not comfortable talking about. And that, you know, that, that just pisses me off. Right. I just wanted to add on to um, your earlier point, Oxford, um, about the Asian men versus brown men dick size, because I can actually speak to this a bit from experience. I've dated okay. uh, <laughs> East Asian men and two white men, and my current boyfriend is white. And I cannot begin to tell you about the differential treatment I got, and it kind of uh, reflected in my thesis. Like, wait, 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 what do you mean differential treatment? Differential treatment, as in... When I was dating the Asian guy, people would literally come up to me and say, Oh, he's Asian. Are you sure about that? Really? And they would act all perplexed and they'd be like, Isn't it supposed to be really small? And I'm just like, I don't know. Wait, these what. are total strangers? Yes. People I had just met two minutes ago would come up to me oh, and say that shit. I... Like, I was literally yeah. 20 years old and I was just like, Why are you asking me this? <laughs> Meanwhile, Either of the white boyfriends, I didn't get shit asked. Like, nobody even cared. And I was like, I just felt like I was navigating the world with them a whole lot more easily. Like, it went down to even when we were at restaurants. One time, I remember with the Asian guy waiting 40 minutes before anyone came and served us. When my white boyfriend was here in uh, April, then, like, we got served in, like, Five minutes tops, maybe ten if it was busy. Like, literally, I can see that differential treatment. And the worst thing is, when people come up to me and they say, Oh, he's white? Is it because of Indian guys, you know, not being enough for you? That somehow Indian men are inadequate, and that's why I am currently dating a white guy. And that's another aspect of that differential treatment. So, maybe not exactly the small dick thing is as emphasized in Indian men, but I guess it is more indirectly. 
because it speaks to that same sentiment when you look at the differential treatment I got across the board. Uh, although I would have, I mean, you know, jumping off from the point that Oxford was making, if if you were able to say, if you, for example, had a, a an experience with a yellow Asian man and then a brown yeah, Asian man, Asian, if it helps any, you know, then it would be a little bit. I mean, it still would obviously wouldn't be enough of a sample size for us to um, speak generally about it. But um, I mean, but when it True comes enough. to an Asian man and the perception, you know, wider perception versus a white man. I mean, that's almost, that almost goes without saying. I wanted to go back to what Oxford was saying about how women and men are treated differently again. And I think Serena kind of touched on a point as well, is that so as a woman of color dating an East Asian guy, people would be like, hey, you have this dick thing going on. And Oxford rightly points out the dick thing is really more about... Asian women in some sense. You're demeaning Asian men to commodify and exploit Asian women for your own sexual desires from white guys. That's usually the case. I think we all agree on this podcast about that. For brown women, it's kind of different. If you're a brown guy dating a non-brown girl, the question to her would be like, hey, are you sure you want to be with this sketchy guy? He seems like he could be really aggressive, and it's almost like a different type of savior complex. And that's where kind of the hyper-masculine part of Orientalism shows, and they're like, yo, we got to save you. You're in trouble. You don't know what this guy's like. I, I want to go back to the... well. I was going to say this when we started off, um, when you made the distinction between yellow and brown Asians, um, Oxford, because as, because the, you know, with the erasure of South Asians when, um, when talking about like the wider Asian American community, um, oftentimes yellow and brown in the in the Asian American community is referring to, you know, East Asians and Southeast Asians. But when you're speaking about yellow and brown Asians, are you currently in the way that you've spoken about it, you're grouping Southeast Asians in the yellow Asian category. Is that correct? I was actually about to ask you about that um, because I think there are certain, I think, Southeast Asians who get like from from the faces, like how they look, get treated like like East Asian, kind of interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are, I think, other Southeast Asians who don't. Yep. And there, there's no term for it. I, I Maybe we can, like, say tan no, or something. No, because the reason why I bring that up is because in my experience, when when talking, you know, with this concept of yellow and brown Asian, it really is that the, the lines is between East Asia and Southeast Asia, not... You know, it, you know, grouping Southeast Asians and with East Asians, and then having South Asians be the brown Asians, um, and so you know, like this blurred line also appears linguistically. I just like to add this very quickly. Like if I speak uh, in French, I'll say for Indonesia, Indochine, and even we talk about uh, Southeast Asia as being Indochine or in- Indochina, as it used to be called a very, very long time ago in English. Indochina, if you look at the two words, it's kind of seen as something that's liminal, that's precipice between India and China, or 
perhaps they would be seen as metonyms for yellow and brown Asians. Um, many Southeast Asians largely identify or feel, you know, I mean, I'm sure you all are familiar with, you know, people talking about jungle Asians and I don't what, what's the other one they call them? Fancy, fancy Asians. Asians. So, I mean, I think that concept is super is very dominant in in the East versus Southeast Asia um, kind of perspective. And so I would just say, I, I, I just, in my experience, Southeast Asians don't, uh, you know, do often see themselves as, as brown Asians. Uh, whether that means that they're grouping themselves with South Asians, I still don't think that that's necessarily the case. You know, I don't think that um, a lot of my... Cambodian and Laotian friends, they they don't, when they feel that they um, that it makes sense to group them in as brown Asians, I don't think that they feel that 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 necessarily means there is a sense of understanding or even solidarity with South Asians. I just think that they see that there they feel that there is a clear line that is drawn between East Asians and Southeast Asians. Oh, there definitely is, um, especially there are like, I think, certain Southeast Asians that, like, that can kind of like are physically not as uh, distinguishable from from East Asians. And then there are those that definitely are. Again, it just comes down to a problem with the language because, you know, Asian, what is Asian? As I said, it's a geographical term, also faultily used as a racial term. And then brown. But then, you know, brown can also mean like, mean like Mexican, right? Or Latino. But it can also mean South Asian. It can also mean Southeast Asian. I, I think it's main a lot of the times uh, we're just like grappling with language here. And hey, hey, in the UK, you know, Asian means means like brown Asians, right? And they they call yellow Asians Oriental still there, which um, I think no, I, I don't know people that. have a problem with the term. People apparently have a problem. Uh, you know, people have a problem with the term Oriental. I honestly would rather have a term rather than nothing because then it lets us avoid these like discussions about you know, who is brown, who is Asian, um, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I th- yeah, there definitely is, uh, like, a distinction between, between like, East and Southeast Asian, especially on, like, like, economic, like, global economic terms. But I think in terms of racial terms, I think a lot of Southeast Asians share a very similar experience just being treated uh, as just, like, yellow Asians. You know, you get the, the fetishization by the, uh, among the women, you get the you know, the, the emasculation of the men, uh, you know, like, uh, if, l- let me put it this way, if like some trade war happened with China and we all got rounded into concentration camps, a whole bunch of Southeast Asians would get swept up in there along with, you know, the Chinese and, and the Koreans and, and the Japanese, right? Mm-hmm. That's also another thing that I, okay, uh, I, maybe Jay and, and Serena, you, you guys can talk about this, but one thing I really don't like about yellow Asians is when we, have this like noblesse oblige attitude of of like oh you know like those, those like poor like brown asians we we have to like look out for them and include them and it just galls me to some extent because like i'm korean and you know korea just like a couple of generations ago was like a country of just like dirt farmers gdp was like you know negative something and then suddenly uh these days oh because you know like um you know like uh, k-pop is kind of popular we 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 almost act like white people trying to you know like this like very white liberal attitude towards minorities it's also liberal like a lot guilt of, let's be honest yeah here. and it's like a total fake liberal guilt because it's like we like yo you, you know you're like one one 
as I said, one trade war thing away from being thrown into internment camps again. So you know, <laughs> stop acting so like you're you're part of like the the wasp set or something. I don't know. Do you do you guys feel that condescension ever? Mm, not personally, but I can kind of see it reflected in the differential treatment that uh, Pakistanis and Afghans get in comparisons to Indians. Like when an Indian comes in. Oh, they're one of those safe ones. They're good. But when it's a Pakistani or Afghan, then sometimes I feel like they tend to get more patronized even within Asian spaces. Because like, oh no, you must be experiencing so much Islamophobia. You're so oppressed even when a good deal of Pakistanis are actually Zoroastrian and that's not even Muslim. But <laughs> or even the idea of Pakistanis, I feel being somewhat devalued relative to Indians. And everything changes when I tell people, you know, technically I'm Pakistani. We just got yeeted because the British can't draw fucking borders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that is definitely true that in some of these spaces, there is almost a hierarchy, like a mini Asian hierarchy of how you can talk about specific communities. And so it would probably be East Asians, you know, got to be a little bit self-hating or whatever that liberal <laughs> guilt and it's really fucking annoying i for whatever reason my area of expertise is chinese seniors in toronto and new york city and it's not <laughs> it's not it's not great being a chinese senior with chronic health conditions in in these cities because many live in like impoverished areas and then below that you have southeast asians and there's no class analysis ever so no one wants to talk about rich Filipinos in the U.S. that vote Republican. And they want to kind of make it appear like every Vietnamese person is living, you know, living hand to mouth. And that's huh. just not how the world works. Like, it's really odd. And then for South Asians, the analysis gets a little bit more convoluted because everyone knows Indians in the U.S. are one of the highest rated for per household incomes. But Bangladeshis, Pakistanis, Nepal may be much lower. And so that discourse gets really weird because, you know, terrorism came through. So you have to be very polite about them. Otherwise, you're making almost like a social justice faux pas. And it's very frustrating that when you have an Asian America that's supposed to be solidified, we solidify it with our own hierarchy, this hierarchy that's based on basically white liberal guilt sometimes. That's how I feel. And we, what we really want is solutions. And we want true solidarity with people that have different lived experience, but the same lived experiences and what being Asian is. And I think we can all agree. I think here we've already agreed that we all have very similar lived experiences, but there's some certain issues that are much different, whether it's being racially profiled... So Whatever. Jay, I have a question for you. To what extent do you feel that that hierarchy of Asians is kind of defined by colorism? Like, East mm -hmm. Asians that tend to be lighter skinned are more at the top, but then as you progressively get darker skinned, you go towards the bottom, considering the value that Asian cultures place on fairer skin, which is a reflection also of white supremacy as well. Especially because, especially in, I know from experience in the Indian community, colorism is a very big problem. Mm-hmm. Colorism is completely a huge problem for Asians, but it also kind of reflects that same white liberal guilt. Like, 
I'm like I'm don't get me wrong. I've been recently amazed at how light-skinned people sometimes have totally different experiences than others or white passing people and they sometimes say the stupidest shit out there about not experiencing racism. So it's definitely a thing. But is there is are, are people telling me that we always have this like colorism really divides how people are acted upon by white Americans. I feel like sometimes colorism is more internalized. Hmm. Especially when it comes to dating. That's what I was getting at. Um, I, so, so it's interesting that, you know, this is, this topic, the, the word that's floating around this is, you know, like white liberal guilt that Asians experience. Um, at, because I, I I get that and I've, I've seen that, but um, you know I'll never forget um, a moment that I experienced when I was at a it was a a conference that focuses on on you know uh, topics of racial identity and uh, there was a, a session and where all of the the participants of this uh, program were in this room and we just asked each other these these difficult questions and when it came and and um i was you know sitting with the advisors and and participating with the advisors but it's the participants are primarily high school students and um the question uh, do you i think the question was something like do you consider uh, and I'm, I'm sure you all have come across kind of uh, ideas surrounding this. Do you consider Asians people of color? Uh, and a shit ton. I, I, I think the majority of that room said no. Um, and and Damn. yeah, and and I whenever I <laughs> say I, whenever I tell this story to um, to to Asians, there everyone is super shocked. Um, but, you know, I, I have experienced that in various different ways, uh, among, uh, different, you know, different groups, um, with, with, you know, a mixed number of, of people of color. Uh, while, yes, I think, I, so, oh, you know, I, I, the reason I tell that story is since having that moment and kind of listening to the, the reasons that uh, the, a lot of the people in the room gave, you know, they all reference, uh, as you can imagine, um, I, you know, ideas relating to privilege and Asians being model minorities and not treated the same way that black and brown people are. Uh, again, this is complicated because we're talking about yellow and brown Asians. Um, but, you know, I... uh it's i mean it's 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 complicated but i over time i i've become um very familiar with that perspective um uh where they just see asian people like as white people like i and i have a black friend who who says that to me he's like i mean you know i I, like one one of my friends we're totally not uh, doing ourselves any favors when we have these weird liberal white liberal conversations in house <laughs> yeah i, I yeah, want to ask ahead. you when they say asian uh, do they mean like yellow asians or or like brown asians yeah so, so as we're having this conversation like yellow asians uh, yeah as we're having this conversation i am i was i was trying to imagine that that moment and if i had brought in a 
brown Asian or, you know, like let's say a South Asian um, into the room, whether or not those the the people in the room would still say the same thing. And to be honest, I mean, we'll never know. Um, but I do think that they would still have the same sentiment. Um, these, yeah. I, and so while, yes, um, the, the imagery that uh, appears in their mind instantly goes to, like, let's say, a Chinese, uh, a light-skinned Chinese man, uh, while that is true, I do think that um, the 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 larger label of Asian still applies in this regard. I I would I think largely agree, but I I want to uh, ask this. I I want uh, Jay and Serena's feedback on this. I think that's true. I think unless they're Muslim, because I think Muslim has become political. It's become a politically useful identity for like white liberals. Uh, and so I think if you're like a Hindu brown person or like Zoroastrian or like Jain or any of these other religions, I think, yeah, you almost get grouped in with, with like the yellow Asians. But I think if you're like a brown Muslim, then, oh, suddenly the, the white liberals, they got use for you because now, because I don't, they have their various reasons. Maybe they can use you like, uh, as like a way to cut down on the neocons or maybe they, they like, uh, you know, they're like pro-Palestinian, so so they like valorize um, any like Muslim. And I think that's why I think a lot of these uh, yellow Asian like activist types are are really desperate to include brownness as uh, into their uh, idea of Asian American. Because Queen, as you said, there are a lot of, uh, you know, people, including other uh, minorities who don't regard Asians and probably in their mind, the the Asian face is like like an East Asian uh, slash, you know, some Southeast Asian face. Uh, and it's, as I said, you get no political protection. So I think that's why they're trying to make it so big. And also what I'd like to add is that when we think about, um, like, East Asians and um, how you said model minority kind of grouped into that, I wouldn't exactly call it the same thing as white privilege per se, because... Being a model minority is also a little bit harmful because then it contributes to the idea of Asians being seen as labor machines, as free, high-performing labor. And this has contributed to the bamboo ceiling, where Asians are all fine and good while they perform well, but we're not going to let them become the CEOs and start running the place. That'd be the inmates running the asylum, according to a lot of people. And you can see this reflected in an SAT study where it was found that Asian Americans, due to their perception of them being higher performing and the fear that they might outcompete other groups, that they are actually require a higher SAT score to get in than white people. Yeah, and I think uh, like yellow Asians, we've just been very bad at articulating why these stereotypes are because because uh, like I see like a lot of uh, you know yellow Asians saying something like actually the stereotype about um, like me being good at math is harmful because then it raises expectations that I'll be good at math and when I'm not it hurts my feelings like that's such a it just sounds like such a spoiled way to, to look at not the, just that but also labor but, and exploitation uh, no exactly like, or hey go go even more like existential because you look at all the stereotypes on, on yellow Asians there's always something about like we have no feelings we're like machines etc you, you know what that really primes people's minds for to, to kill you like, dehumanization, which is a exactly. step and of you genocide. look at the history of war who have white people been fighting besides other white people 
in like full blown wars in the last like hundred years. It's all like yellow people. Yeah, and and but they don't like a lot of like I think yellow Americans. They they don't we don't make that connection. We just start complaining about math tests and hurt feelings. So I I, I can see why people aren't as sympathetic. There's like a eight years. There's like eight steps. Sorry to uh, genocide, and I believe one of the key steps. I think it's third or fourth is dehumanization, where you yeah, start using yeah. language to make uh, the oppressed group seem like they're dehumanized. And the idea of the dehumanization step, after that comes polarization. To polarize people against this group, which is now no longer seen as human in society. So when the extermination comes around and the actual genocide begins, then people won't do anything about it. And this was seen actually in the Rwandan genocide, which is a classic example of this progression from dehumanization to polarization to genocide, where the Hutu peoples, the Tutsi peoples were called cockroaches by Hutu peoples, and then nobody thought of the Tutsis as humans, and so then when the Tutsis got genocided, then nobody in the country was willing to stand up for them. Akrian, I got, I got another question for you. So I think a few months ago, and, and Jay, you might know about this just because you're, you're in like these Facebook groups. There was like a popular meme. I think it was like subtle Asian traits, but it was basically a meme uh, by, I think, Southeast Asians slamming East Asians. And the gist of the message was while like Southeast Asians were getting deported, all East Asians cared about was media representation. <laughs> um, how much how, how much like truth uh, do you think there is? in something like that i i was i've heard that shit a lot (laughs) like uh, in southeast asian communities like and uh, i I just want to say that (laughs) qian is being critical because she's a light-skinned southeast asian (laughs) and that is the reason behind it (laughs) i'm I'm being i'm being critical that that, that's right i'm just i'm just throwing i'm also i'm joking so anyone just a just a red flag right here yeah, check, check your privilege. Yeah. Got to check your privilege first, and then, and then, yeah, got to be critical like that because uh, that's that's what critical theory is all about, right? Yeah. That, oh yeah, that's the white liberal <laughs> guilt that you guys are referring to. That's why, I, as y'all are talking about that, I I just think about like I'm like, oh, that's people. There are are there are these Asians who are feeling that, but I just think of I think more of, um those who don't think about any of this or don't comment on any of this, which is very prevalent as well. But before I get to that, I'll, I'll address um, your, your question, Oxford, um, about this, you know, that, that the content of that meme, meme and whether that is, are, are you asking whether that is a sentiment that is pervasive in the, the Southeast Asian community or? Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I, I it's obviously it's hard for me to speak on behalf of the um this you know Southeast Asians, but I would say that that oh what you're you're not connected to the the Vietnamese American hive mind, <laughs> <laughs> but I um the very fact that I've heard this multiple times and even in or conversations with organizers like say in the uh, the South Bay in the Bay Area um I, I have heard that many times like uh, where people organizers will say. Oh, you know, uh, there are all of these East Asians who are, or they won't like and only group it as East Asians, but they'll 
they'll point at East Asians kind of leading that charge um, of media representation and that uh, media representation won't save you. So that's that's something that is 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 common enough in organizer communities, um, organizer Asian communities. Um, but the uh, uh, actually, I'll, I'll stop. It's kind there. of random. If, Do if, you find yeah. those organizing communities? I find a lot of organizing communities are like dominated by Chinese, American, or Canadians anyway. So often they're the ones saying this meme in the first place. You know, preemptive, I guess. A Preemptively. <laughs> and it's just so frustrating when these types of discourses come through just to beat ourselves up and not look at actual solutions. And that's the, that's the other part. I'm like, what is the actual solution to this? Yeah. I mean, the, the reason I asked that is like, I've seen that too in like these Facebook groups. It's always usually some like, not always, but it's sometimes some East Asian person, uh, like self-flagellating, um, and you know, like say, you know, think of these like poor Southeast Asian, uh, you know, deportees, and and I'm not even sure if they've actually done anything or if they're just virtue signaling to show that they're one of the good uh, East Asians, not these like dirty white you know, proximal <laughs> yellows. So I, that's why I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, oh, I um. <laughs> Jay, you you had mentioned like Chinese organizers. It's I. It's it's funny when you say that. I. It's evident that I am. I was living in a bubble in San Jose, California, because um, the most that we saw Chinese um, Chinese folks organizing. Um, sorry, I can't, I can't even say this because it's going to sound so problematic. Um, but there's... Okay. <laughs> well, now, now I'm primed. I'm like excited to hear what no, this is. No, 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 no. Um, let, me, let, me, let me step back. There are, I, I am sure there are a ton of Chinese organizers in San Jose, California that I'm just not familiar with. Uh, but uh, a lot of the people that I, I was referring to, um, you know, are, are many, many of them are Vietnamese Americans. Obviously, they're, it's the city with the large, it's the, city with the largest Vietnamese population outside of Vietnam. And so they, a lot Vietnamese Americans often dominate, um, those spaces, um, in, 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 uh, the South Bay. Um, but, you know, one of the big things during that, uh, in the last few years uh, was that uh, there was like an affirmative action, anti-affirmative action uh, organizing that was happening in the Cupertino area. And, and the, there was a huge group of um, Chinese and uh, various South Asians, I think predominantly um, Indian um, American. And these are all, all of these parents Right. And so that was a huge organizing effort that was occurring um, while I was still working in, in San Jose. Um, and so that doesn't that doesn't help the that doesn't help the, 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 the cause. So um, when I with regards to affirmative action throughout my thesis, I did address this. The way affirmative action is structured in United States post-secondary education, at least, <clears throat> particularly at things like Ivy League schools. It's robbing Peter to pay Paul. If your goal is to help minorities, it's um, basically sacrificing one minority for another. So there was an analysis done throughout my thesis that I looked at, which compared affirmative action to no affirmative action. 
white people did not see terribly much change in outcome between the two sides. Black people and Hispanic people saw a gain in their admissions rates when affirmative action was implemented, but Asians saw a relative decrease. It was harder for Asians to get in. However, with no affirmative actions, while Asians were benefited, black people and Hispanic peoples were less likely. And that's not an optimal situation either way. You don't want to cut off your arm thinking it would be better for you to save your leg, or vice versa. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, my solution would just be, like, liquidate all the elite colleges and set up big public schools everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, like, I, I think that's I, the only real solution. Yeah. It's I more mean, so um, speaking to affirmative action in general, I suppose. I just wanted to clarify that this study was specifically conducted in that environment as maybe a bit of a limitations kind of disclosure, but the principle is still there elsewhere and could very likely well be there where affirmative action is applied that it's basically hurting one minority to save another, which is equally bad. Mm-hmm. So when people like Kuyan's story, I totally believe that there was a lot of Indian uncles and aunties and Chinese uncles <laughs> and aunties part of affirmative action. But what I usually notice is that on the exact opposite side, those that are against affirmative action, some of the loudest people are, I forget the New York Desi coalition, as well as Chinese activists. So it just, it's almost like selecting who who you see. That's kind of my gripe with these kind of weird discourses that we have in these groups of, oh, we're erasing these people. In reality, the majority groups that dominate, they're equally divided almost left and right. I don't think, I don't, I definitely think that's the case. Really, we need a class analysis. That makes a lot more sense. It's very clear that upper-class Chinese, upper-class Indians that go actually, that actually go to elite schools is in their interest to be reactionary and not really give a fuck about other Asians, and that's what they're going to do. And in the, on the other hand, those that are upper-middle class or lower-middle class, Indian, Chinese, maybe there is more disproportionate Vietnamese, whoever... They're going to say something against it. But we always, in these like Facebook groups or activist groups, they don't want to have that kind of nuanced discussion on class, whether it's to, for it's whatever It's kind reason. of a liberal identity politics in general, which is like basically all oppression has to do with the great chain of being that is racial, gender, hierarchies without connecting those really back to class as the key operant that unites the different hierarchies we see right and if someone wants to say indian people suck because they make more money than everyone i would be i would actually accept that i just take that of like you know what indian people they make more money in the u.s but then (laughs) it gets it gets weird they're darker there's terrorism so you just peg them down on this ladder and it just becomes nonsensical in part of Wait, our Jay, I just want to clarify when you said like the, the like upper class Asians versus like the more like middle class Asians. So are the upper class Asians the ones like are they the ones for or against affirmative action in, in your model? I think they would be against current affirmative action mm-hmm. models. Yeah. Yeah. And and the folks that I was referring to in uh the Cupertino Fremont um 
were were uh pr predominantly um among you know the upper class upper upper middle class um population and they were and they were organizing against um the the affirmative action bill okay and and, th and then the lower the class Asians are for affirmative action you're saying um they w uh are are working so they weren't tuned into what was happening yeah, I mean, and that being said, there's actual Indian Republicans that exist in the U.S., and I don't see a disproportionate amount of Indian people voting for them. No, you, they're probably uh, after the the white vote, right? That that's Bobby exactly Jindal. Is Bobby the case. Yeah, Jindal. Bobby Jindal <laughs> is definitely not surrounded by Indian people in Louisiana or anywhere. So I just don't understand where these narrative, these hierarchies. I just, I'm kind of angry about them because they kind of ruin everything. Solutions. I was gonna add about uh, when you were talking about class analysis, whether somebody is of the ruling class or not, it does not really depend on how much money they have versus their access to means of production and companies. Like you see, these Asians, they have lots and lots of money, but they don't actually have any control. Because they're not, they're working for somebody still. They don't own any means of production or any company. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I, that's why I get so irritated when people bring up the, the income argument for Asian Americans. But it's like, yeah, but it's, it's income. It's not, it's not wealth. It's not property. It's not like equity and anything. It's like you get fired, you lose that right away. So you're always going to basically be your like boss's lapdog. And that you're not allowed to advance any further than that in the bamboo ceiling, like keeping them systemically out of the means of production. Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, and then I, I see a lot of like Asian Americans themselves being, you know, t so cowed by this fact. So they never speak up. They're always like deferring to everybody else. Like, no, like, yeah, I mean, it's obviously you want more income than less, but it, it doesn't make you all powerful, especially, especially when somebody calls you basically uh, just like a white person. Yeah, so... But, but I mean the I guess the 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 tricky area is we're talking about power, right? But when it comes to um, I mean obviously power and privilege are are tied together. Um, I just I, and this has popped up in my head a few times throughout this conversation. But I'm I'm sure uh, at least some of you have, I saw um, that video about um, prison bar. Have have you guys all seen that? Oh yeah, I, I recently saw that. Uh, I mean, I I know of it. I didn't watch it. Yeah, I had actually. Yeah. I mean, far way be before. I mean, I live in LA. Way before I had seen that there was there was a feature on it. Um, on I guess it was a ABC or NBC or something like that. Local discoveries. I had seen it because I live close to Koreatown in LA, and I had come across it, and it just it you know upset me boggled my mind etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean the, the the tricky thing is when it comes to groups of uh, uh asian americans if you want to identify them as yellow asians um so when it comes to power we can argue like obviously um a, a lot of these folks aren't i mean none of these folks have uh like the the type of power that uh, whites do in this country, but then when it comes to 
um, the ability for many, many people in the yellow Asian community to like have these uh, kind of massive blind spots, it's it's extremely pervasive. And so kind of tying it back to the what I had mentioned about the story about um, people, uh, you know, people th- feeling that Asians, uh, whatever Asian means, uh, don't fall under the category of people of color. Um, this is a part of, I think, what that sentiment, where that sentiment comes from, uh, when you can see uh, something like this occurring. But th- this also happens um, time and time again. Um, not not in something as absurd as a, you know, a an, a Korean owned establishment that is uh, jail themed, um, but comes in just you know, microaggress- microaggressions that that um, that exist in in conversations uh, between you know between Asian um, between Asian Amer- Americans. True, but I I would ask this. I, you know, there are probably some if somewhere in America, some like non Asian but person of color owned place called like Mister Chinky's. You know, hot uh, spring rolls or something or. For instance, when some like Latino baseball player does like the chinky eye thing, mm-hmm. um, what would separate this from that? So things like that, because I don't think people would see those things and say, "Well, look at these people; they're just, uh, you know, they're just so, they're so like close to whiteness." But I think as soon as like a an Asian person screws up in this way, it just becomes further proof that we are just like yellow skinned white people. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what, like what, what do you think the difference is that? So kind of random. So just go, bringing it back to Canada, for South Asians, particularly Indians, they. So you know, we you guys have Shark Tank. We have Dragons Den. I think two. My friend of appeared the dragons... on Dragons Den many many moons ago. Oh, Wait, why is it okay. called Dragons Den? It's not. It's not some like Asian person on it. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but there are two brown people that are on it. I forget their okay. names. One's in fashion. One is, I think, in the restaurant industry, and. Also, I think we have a disproportionate amount of MPs that are South Asian background. So it just kind of makes me think, like, does that mean South Asians have more privilege in Canada versus the U.S.? I think it's a good question to explore. I don't really believe in privilege. I think it's kind of a useless concept. But it just so these weird East Asian, South Asian hierarchies, they just they just fall flat with like the smallest amount of scrutiny. Uh, just slightly off topic, Jay. How's that? What's that NDP guy's name again? Like, how's he doing? Oh, Jagmeet Singh. Yeah, he's doing, he doing okay. He uh, he made a stupid joke in front of the news. He tried he tried to make fun of a bunch of people, but they all landed flat because he actually came out with a little bit of a brown humor, and it was a okay. completely white audience, and they did not find it funny at all. <laughs> It was really because yeah, I remember like a couple of years ago, but they were like, you know, there's, I mean, it's obviously still a long shot because like NDP is still like, you know, not one of the ma- I don't know what, it, but at least when I was growing up in Canada, the NDP was like, you know, the, the third or fourth party all the time. There was some talk that he could maybe become prime minister. Um, but actually, you bring up, you bring up a good point because um, that is actually something I hear a lot among just like you know East Asians uh, and probably Southeast Asians is always like, yeah, South Asians they, they seem to just do pretty well in things like business and politics and you know they, they often point to like ceos and so although i, I always thought that was a little skewed because those ceos are from india they're not indian american i don't think a lot of them so they're basically like the smartest 
men or women in India uh, who come here. Um, so it's like, yeah, obviously they're they're gonna you know get be highly regarded. But um, or Jay and Serena, though, what what do you think about that? Is is there something to it? Is there? I mean, I always thought that if there was anything like cultural, it would be maybe South Asians have more fluency in English, not not just like language wise, but just just like culture, just because the the British have been a major presence in in India, and it's not it's not like European powers haven't colonized. Yeah, I, like East I hear and this a lot from East Asians too that they mm-hmm. try to look at oh, I see some optimization for Indians to excel in these specific areas and i reject them unilaterally (laughs) i don't think i don't think indians have any particular cultural abilities over east asians sometimes people (laughs) mention oh there's more charismatic south asians than east asians i reject that completely i do think that (laughs) the labor market is slightly different globally for south asians versus east asians but you can find a lot of, you know, like, I mean, if you're from Hong Kong and you speak good English, you're going to do very well in Hong Kong and Southeast Asia as well. If you And now China's blown up. So it just has to do with changes in market relations, which is an important point for that CEO level. But when you look at coders and programmers, you don't see as much of a difference as one would expect. And I think that data shows in that Wall Street Journal article from what is it, like five or six years ago? Mm-hmm. Then for East Asians, I think there's also this idea, sometimes internalized, that East Asians speak really shitty English. I don't think that's true. <laughs> either I, that or... Anecdotally. Like, like, I think it's either that or even if we're like really good, we don't like show it off uh, because of, you know... X, Y, Z, uh, Z reasons. I think a lot of that is um, just like, like Asian American insecurity. Uh, I think we just like pathologize our cultures and races so much. So I think for for like yellow Asian Americans, it's always just on the search. other side is that for the creative field, I think there's more East Asian participation. But no one ever really talks about that. So do to Chinese, Koreans, and Japanese Americans, do they have a special cultural attribute that allows them to excel in the creative field? Like, <laughs> obviously not. There's something else going on there. Yeah, and I think it is that, just that insecurity and, and self-pathologization. So I think if you're, let's say, like an East Asian guy, and you're, like, secretly terrified that all these stereotypes about you being this, like, boring, irrelevant, uncharismatic, just like unattractive, all these like horrible things that really cut at you. Your deep fear is what if it's all actually true? And what if other groups who, you know, are in a similar situation as my group, yet if they're doing well, um, oh my God, like what if like there's something they have that I don't? And there's this like, a mission to find out what it is meanwhile as you said there's actually all this stuff that could go the other way maybe those people are looking at you saying how are these uh people like doing so well in this but they don't see that because it's, it's all that... greener <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly so another grass is only is uh, always greener shit i can't speak english so as you can see i'm not gonna be the ceo <laughs> in california anytime soon is that sometimes east asians are like wow south asians they have it together they're they're going so far there's all the solidarity and meanwhile south asians and indians are like wow 
the Chinese, they're so how much so much solidarity. They get shit together. Whether you're from Hong Kong or Singapore, they're really going places. We need to be like that. We need to be like that. We still fight over India and Pakistan. Still hung up over that. One of the that's one of my big pet peeves, by the way, is this whole infighting between Indians and Pakistanis that we still bring to our own country. Yes, I just wanted to kind of address the set, the East Asian perceptions on Indians sometimes. Like, there's nothing problematic, there's nothing oppressive about this. Sometimes people just, they have these ideas that just really make me laugh. Like, <laughs> everyone is just getting along. And you can extend this, you know, outwards. Like, black people do it to Asians. They're like, wow. The yeah, Asians I, I, no, I was about, about to say doing. that. Um, It's like, on Twitter, it's so funny. You go on, I think, like, there were like, some black women on Twitter, like, talking shit about black men. I saw these tweets by these black dudes who were like, oh, my God, like, our community is so fractured. Look at, like, look at those Asians. They're so together. <laughs> they never have any fights like this. <laughs> and I think I think some, like, Asians replied to him, like, bro, what are you talking about? You have no idea. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's definitely the case, especially in America. <laughs> we just literally plan A is, like, 1.5 hours every week about, wow. Asians do not really have their shit together in solidarity. <laughs> well, now with the Patreon, it's more like like two and a half hours. We got an extra. Podcast. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, our bonus pods tend to be a bit more lighthearted and stuff. Um, so we are almost at I think an hour and a half. So I think uh, this has been a great discussion. Um, you guys should definitely come back. But I think we should be wrapping things up. So. Maybe we can just do like final thoughts or maybe if you had a point that you really want to say on this podcast but haven't had a chance to, we can go around with some final thoughts. So anyone want to go first or I'll just pick randomly like a teacher. Final thoughts. Uh, the Raptors won. Oh my God. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> Not the championship, but the first, the first of seven out of the championship match. This is like last year if maybe JR hadn't fucked up. Because remember the Cleveland almost won game one. Like would have been it was been a huge upset. I think would this have been a big? I think this is a bigger upset than if Cleveland had won last year, right? Well, no, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was healthy last year, so yeah. Wow, well, yeah. damn, still look god good. damn it! I I like before this call, I was like telling Serena, you know, I, I really don't think the Raptors have a chance. <laughs> I, I don't think the Raptors have a chance either. But the idea of winning one game is still pretty hardcore because Curry and they like. They just demolished the last team. Yeah, the the Blazers. Yeah, that's man. The Raptors must really this this is so good for their confidence. It's just yeah. <laughs> so I mean, before we leave, I'm just gonna drop a bomb and I'm gonna upset everybody in Plan A and they're gonna leave Patreon. Jeremy Lin kind of sucks on the Raptors. Like he's not. Well, a we great all know player. that. We <laughs> all we knew that. There, man. We knew that, but he seems to enjoy. He seems to be enjoying himself. And... When he plays, he plays really well. Yeah, I, I think, like, he just... I, I don't think he had enough time to fit in, and, you know, he's coming off of serious injury. I mean, look at how badly, like, Gordon Hayward's played, and Gordon Hayward's, a, like, an all-star. So, yeah, I mean, like... I mean, I love Jeremy Lin. Um, if he... If this is kind of it for him, I, I still think he was... You know, he's an amazing figure and stuff. But this is not about Jeremy Lin or basketball, so... Um, any really? final I thoughts related to... thought that was a great to... way to wrap things up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, any other thoughts people want to uh, give? Yeah, I'll just give my final thoughts. So as we've been speaking, as I've been listening to QN and Serena as well, I've been thinking, you know what, there's a lot of solidarity between all Asians. I really do think that's going well. And there's this political <laughs> push that Oxford mentioned regarding the 
kind of almost like a political East Asians want to make sure other Asians are feeling included for whatever reason, maybe they're part of organizations. And I think it's going in a positive direction. I've been seeing more solidarity through the years as time goes on. What I also kind of got upset about, I didn't think we were going to talk about it, is that while there's this push for solidarity that is political in nature, at the same time as that increases, the same people want to also create these hierarchies on who are the Asians that need to almost submit or pay tribute to other Asians. And I find that is the problematic part of Asian American spaces when you're trying to fit brown, east, and then, did we call Southeast Asian tanned? (laughs) Tanned Asian. (laughs) Like, that's the part that really just grinds my gears. And it goes back to the fact that nobody looks at... Are you high income, low income? Because that gives you a much better picture of why people may have weird reactionary ideas, whether it's anti-affirmative action or not caring about refugees. That's my final thought. Things are going well. Avoid liberal politics. It'll just fuck everything up. (laughs) (laughs) When I say fuck liberal politics, I'm saying go left. Uh, I, was, I was about to yes. say, uh, you know, Jay, you should indicate, you should indicate which direction. I, I thought, or we're I gonna, thought it we're would gonna... be interesting for you to just leave it as that. <laughs> I, I don't want to get any hate mail. I mean, my Twitter. Jay's gonna be responsible left. for turning like all our listeners into the alt right. That that's right. Yes. You know what, guys? Bobby Jindal, he's looking pretty good now. <laughs> I think we should just leave it there. All of you should just go, you know, get him to be VP. Call it a day. Um, I think Kuya, uh, do, do you have any last Yeah, thoughts? I mean, I I think I'll, I'll just keep it short. I think that this is probably the most um, dense and complicated topic that I have broached on Escape from Plan A. Uh, <laughs> we obviously address various facets of this, but it just feels like such a difficult concept to tackle um and yeah i mean i it uh, obviously the conversation is over and i still don't know you know i i still think that i guess what we're call- i guess we did get to something because we're calling the southeast asians tan asians now but then all of the tan all of the tan asians would just be like oh we're brown asians anyway um long story short very dense and difficult topic to to discuss yeah, and we should definitely talk about it again. I, a friend of mine, he's, uh, I think he's he's Muslim Indian, uh, and he like, uh, you know, he listens and he enjoys it. But he, you know, asked me like, how come you don't have, uh, you know, th- you don't have like brown Asians on or write about brown issues? He's like, I don't feel qualified at all to write or talk about it. Like, I, like we know our thing, and I think there are certain commonalities we have. Like, we in high school, like all my closest friends were like Filipino in college a lot of them were Indian so I think there is some definite like connection we have whether it's as like immigrants or like children of immigrants or like you know people who don't quite fit in neatly in the in the racial spectrum but I'm also a firm believer in and you got to respect other people's spaces so that you can talk about like your own shit and don't let anybody try to use other people to to clamp down on like discussions they don't want to have because that's just that's just using those people, and it's just so disrespectful to everybody. 
But yeah, so I think it's definitely a conversation we need to keep having. Um, hell, you you know, we could just like convene again in a few weeks and just keep riffing. Good, like, yeah, uh, yeah, this was this was a lot of fun. I'd be happy to return. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Yeah, yeah, this was this was great, and um, I, I getting kind of late, so I I hope everyone, <laughs> I, I want everyone to get a good night's sleep. So thanks, guys, for being on. So let's do this definitely. again soon. Thanks. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Yeah, definitely. All right. Bye, everyone. And for the listeners, we'll be back next week. Uh, have a good morning or day or night whenever you're listening. Bye, everyone. Bye.